Give a hearty amen after that. Amen. We are not defined by our sin. We're not defined by our circumstances. But we're defined by whose we are. And we are children of the most high, holy, holy, holy God that we sang about. Amen. Amen. Take God's word. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. I want to welcome those who are watching online this morning. Uh, we're supposed to be having a person watching from Pakistan this morning. Remember Tabish was among us for a few months? Well, he's back home right now, and he's supposed to be watching online, so I'm going to say hi, Tabish. Hi, Tabish. It's kind of weird saying someone to another country, but uh, he's waving back if he's watching. And uh, I don't know what the timeline is over there. I don't know if it's like 2 a.m. in the morning, but uh, we have been engaged in a series on the Sermon of the Mount, and we're at Matthew 7. I want to read these few verses, verses 12 through 14, and then we'll talk a bit about those. So follow with me. Matthew 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So ends the reading of God's word. Let's talk about the logic of so. That verse begins with so. Very important word. The logic of so says this. So knowing what we know. And Jesus is saying, knowing what I just told you about. And we can go way back to the beginning. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Knowing what we know that we are. Knowing that we know that Christ came to complete the law. Not to abolish it. Not to get rid of it, not to replace it. Knowing what we know about anger and lust and marriage, knowing what we know about prayer and judging and asking, knowing what we know, we come to this phrase that's often been called the golden rule. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, Jesus is identifying that self-love is a very powerful force. In fact, self-advantage usually guides most of our lives. And he's turning the tables and he's saying, listen, let this self-love guide your behaviors towards others. It's an invitation to really ask the question, And we talked about asking last week, how would I like to be treated in this situation if I wanted to improve my life, if I wanted to love my life, if I wanted to love myself? So it's an invitation that we, again, impose and think about someone else other than ourselves. 
And what we have to realize, this is an invitation just not to an individual value system or lifestyle. So often we emphasize individual decisions to follow Christ. But we have to understand that what he's calling here is a call into community. That it's just not about you and your relationship with God. It's about everybody else around you. Whether or not they're part of the family of God yet, or whether they're new in the family, or whether they've been here for 30, 40 years like you. And when we talk about community, again, I want to emphasize, you hear me all the time talk about diverse unity. And what that means is we have different preferences. We have different opinions. We have different personalities. We have different gifts. We have different talents. But the unity, the oneness, the mission, this this call into community is born out of our Lord and Savior and his spirit. It's his passion and his mission. And this is where the transformation of hearts comes into. We are transformed into generous people. And that generosity looks a thousand different ways depending upon who you are. We're transformed into a community of wisdom and understanding. And that's different than being educated. It's about how do we navigate this world in terms of relationships, in terms of decisions, in terms of everything. Whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's with our neighbors. The transformation of our hearts happens with love. And we talked about this before where we are called to love our enemies. It's the fruit of the spirit. What he's saying is that the love of Christ needs to be reflected in us. And so we follow the desires of Christ. We are his body and we make Jesus our head. Actually, he is the head, whether we make him that or not. Amen. But so often in the church, we have this tendency to make Jesus in our image. And then we argue and divide ourselves over that old phrase, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And so one group says, well, Jesus would do this and Jesus would do that. And we end up making him in our image rather than together, collectively coming together saying, listen, a lot of diversity here, a lot of difference of opinions, but what does it mean to be Christ in this particular situation? Now, historically, when you think about this golden rule, there's been much made about this. In fact, you can find a version of it in almost every religion and literature, philosophy, education. But what's interesting is that apart from scripture, it's found in its negative form, not the positive form. It's don't do rather than do. Confucius says, do not to others that you would not wish done to you. The Apocrypha, which is added literature to some Bibles, in the book of Tibet, chapter 4, verse 15, it says, do not do to anyone what you yourself would hate. The Jewish Talmud, Rabbi, Rabbi Hillel in 80 BC said this, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. Now, a brief analysis, they appear to be the same, don't they? But there's an enormous difference between the negative and the positive. One is the way of don't. Remember growing up as a child? Don't, 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 don't. The other is the way of do. Think about the possibilities. And so Christ says, rather than having a list of things you can't do, you know those phrases, good Christians can't, 
You fill the blank in. We were all raised there in some form, some way. But here's a list of things that you can engage in. But see, what we often do is the negative form rather than the positive form. Let's take what was talked about by Dr. Kime a few weeks ago. Take the theme of judging. Inside the church, we can be very critical of those things we disagree with. Let me illustrate. There's a book that's been out, oh, probably a few months. It's called The Benedict Option. And it was causing controversy among the churches. And when I hear that, I got to read it because if it's causing controversy, there's some good things in there, at least in my mind. That's how I think. And I've heard people say this. Nobody should read it. Why? I say, well, on page such and such and paragraph such and such, here's what this person said. And I disagree with that. And I said, but what about everything you do agree with? You see the thinking? Now let's relate this to my sermon. There are times when I make specific applications that you may disagree with. I'm not talking about biblical content. I'm talking about how we apply the biblical context in terms of our cultural analysis. So if you disagree with one of those applications, do you throw out the entire sermon? Some of you are saying yes. <laughs> I've seen people take organizations like Samaritan's Purse. And when you study what they do, they do incredible work around the world in places that most people would not go. And they treat all people equally in terms of care, in terms of medical, in terms of food and shelter. But I've heard people say, well, Franklin Graham, I heard him say this one time, and it has nothing to do with scripture, has nothing to do with the Bible. In fact, this situation had to do with politics. They say, I disagree with him, so boom, Samaritan's purse, out the window. Never support him. They write him off. Do you see what we do? We judge people by the negative rather than the positive. So Christ says this, and this is what this passage is about. It's a call to live out the positive. It's a call to live out the things that we agree on. And we may differ how it gets done. But we all agree on the mission to be Christ in our world. We all agree, as we're going to find out in a moment, that there is one way to heaven. We all agree that there is one God who is holy, holy, holy. We all agree that there's one spirit that indwells in us and causes us to live in ways that are humanly impossible. And this call is a very, very high standard. That's why at another place, and we already looked at this, he says, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to forgive people who do not deserve forgiveness. After all, isn't that what I did for you? I mean, he could have looked from heaven and looked at all our negatives saying, you know what? They are not worthwhile to be children of God. But no, he focused on what we can become and what we should become in him. And so he looked down from heaven and said, you know, if I was in their shoes and I needed a savior, I'd want someone to come along and offer me a way out of this mess I'm in. And so this phrase that we call the golden rule isn't some shallow, easy calling. 
but it's a call to be a positive force in our culture and world. It's a call to be the church, to be followers of Jesus. But let's look at the other part of the passage that often gets us in trouble. Let's read this again. Enter by the narrow gate. Four. The gate is wide. There's two gates. One's narrow, one's wide. And the way is easy. There's two ways. One that leads to destruction, and those who enter are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Christianity is one of the most inclusive, I'm going to explain that in a moment, and exclusive religions in the world. It's inclusive because Paul said it this way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, for we... For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So there is no nationality. There is no free or slave in Christ. In Galatians 3, he says this in verse 28. And we can put those scriptures up there, please. I put them on the screen. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we are inclusive because here's what Christ says. There is no race. There's no nationality. There's no gender that's not invited and accepted into the kingdom of God. So you could be North Korean and it's okay. You can even be Russian and it's okay. You can be a redneck and it's okay. There are two. Did I hear a thank you on that one? Hey, I come from Washington, bro. You know, do I need to say more? There are two designations in Christ and only two. You know what they are? You are a son or you are a daughter. That's it. Nothing else matters. You are not defined by your sin. You are defined by Christ. And that is one of the most incredible, powerful positive truths that we have to get into our head and get into our, our hearts. So the calling this morning that Christ says is this. You got to decide. You're going to live on your terms. You're going to live on God's terms. See, Jesus cuts right across easygoing syncretism. Big fancy word. It simply means that there are multiple ways to find God. You just may use a different name. So if you worship Buddha's God, that's another name for God. Or if, you know, if you want to worship Allah, that's fine. But we're all going to get there someday. Jesus cuts right across that and says, listen, there's only one way. Not many. And that's a very hard message for some to hear. One of the interesting passages I often go to is in John chapter 6 because... You know, in America, we talk about church growth and growing things and winning people to the Lord and saying that if you're not growing, you're doing something wrong, things like that. But Jesus, in the midst of trying to describe that he is going to give his life for the cause, and they don't get it. And after he finishes preaching, look at verse 59, John chapter 6, verse 59. You can look at the scripture on the wall. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Copernicum. And when his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? I mean, it was tough. 
But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this. Now, I know you guys never grumble about my sermons, so that's good. And I wouldn't know it anyway, because I'm not Jesus. He said to them, do you take offense at this? In verse 66, then, it says this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, and you can see this whole situation. He preached his heart out. He's trying to describe this, this gift that he's giving to them. They don't get it. They can't incorporate it. They can't understand it. So they all leave. And he turns to the ones that are closest to him and says this. Do you want to go away as well? Jesus said there's two gates. One leads to life. One leads to destruction. There are two ways. One leads to life. One leads to destruction. There are two destinations. Life or destruction. There are two groups. People that pursue life and people that pursue destruction. It is either or. Now remember... A while back, Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it. And of course, the accusations that were given to him by the religious leaders of the day, by the keepers of the law, by the keepers of the doctrine, for thousands of years, they devoured this doctrine and this became their guideposts. And along come Jesus who says, okay, you know, here's what you said it meant, but this is what it really means. You can see why they were upset. But this whole either or stuff is all over the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, again, you can follow with me on the screen. Here's what the author writes. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, two choices, blessing and curse, two choices. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them. In Joshua chapter 24, again, we see a scene where they're coming to the promised land for the second time. The first time they decided not to follow God's way. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Joshua was one of those few people that survived that because he said, we need to go in. But here's what he says again, approaching this a second time, much older. I gave you a land on which you have not labored. That's God talking to them. And Joshua saying, this is God. And cities that you have not built and you dwell in them. You eat of the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Either or, serve the Lord or serve evil. Whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites, doesn't matter. Many gods, it's just one choice though. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love this passage in 1 King. And there's this whole contest set up between him and Baal. And Elijah gets frustrated, and he finally says this. And Elijah came near to all the people and said this. How long will you go on limping between two different opinions? I love that phrase. How long will you go limping between? Back and forth. It cripples you. If the Lord is God, follow him. 
But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Jeremiah 21 verse 8. And to this people you say, thus says the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Period. So it's all over the Old Testament that Christianity is one of the most inclusive. We define people by being in Christ. That's it. And exclusive. Exclusive means there's only one way. There's not multiple ways. And Christ provided a way through his death and resurrection that we're going to be celebrating later on this morning. Now let's talk about GBC. GBC is the church of Jesus Christ. Now our location happens to be 1899 Marietta Pike, Lancaster, PA, in case you didn't know. But the church of Jesus Christ has many many locations, amen? It exists in every corner of our world. It exists in many different styles. If you worship at other places, they worship differently than we do. And that is okay. If you go to another country, they really worship differently than we do. And that is okay. We worship the same God through Christ. The purpose of the church of Jesus Christ is to glorify God, to honor Christ. Now, we talked about asking last week. And so one of the things we constantly should be asking is, Lord, what do you have for us? Now, when it comes to the church, what's tragic is we can choose other options. And we know historically that's happened because in the book of Revelation, with the seven letters to the one church, he writes, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's talking to the church. They put him on the outside. He's knocking because he wants to come in. But one of the options that we have in our culture that's prevalent is a consumer version of what Christ has to offer. See, a consumer version means the customer is always right. So as a church, we're here to provide religious goods and services. We're here to make you happy and to meet your perceived needs so you keep shopping here. In the business world, we call that brand loyalty. For instance, I like to shop at Costco. One of the reasons is because I like their business practices. I had to do a paper on them in my one degree I was working on, and I like the way they treat their employees and how they're set up. So I'm saying, you know what? I will shop there because of the ethics of how they deal with their employees. But see, consumer-driven churches go this way then. Well, if we don't keep you happy, you simply go elsewhere. And we use the phrase, well, I'm going to go out shopping for a church. And you'll find someone who will entertain your desire. And usually what that means is we like to find churches where everyone thinks like us. Because we're right. Now, we don't say that. But we really think that, don't we? Barna said in 2015, recent statistic, 6% of churches in America had a single conversion. That's it. 6%. 94% of the churches in America who claims their mission is to help people find Christ never helped a single person find Christ. I heard that and I wept. I was shocked. See, the church needs to be a place like we see in Acts 2. When you study what happened when they left the upper room and they went out to preach, I love this phrase. It says, everyone heard in their own language. 
See, we have to speak in a way that other people who don't understand our Christianese can hear and can accept and can invite Christ in their lives. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, there needs to be understanding so that people can come to repentance. Repentance means to change your mind, means to change your life. It means to choose life. But the basic problem is our preoccupation with self. And what I love about this passage is Jesus turns that in on us and says, you know your preoccupation with self? I want you to be preoccupied with other people instead. I want you to do for them what you want to do for yourself. Greek mythology, which I was always fascinated with. I love studying it. There's a character by the name of Narcissus, and it's where we get the word narcissistic from, who spent his entire life admiring his reflection in a pool of water. Can you imagine what he would do with selfies today? Man, it'd be all over Facebook. But Jesus says, listen, there are two systems. That's it. There's a system of divine accomplishment. That's the narrow way. That's the one way. That's the way in Christ. Or there's a system of human achievement. That's your way. Multiple ways, multiple gods, multiple venues saying, well, you know, if I just try hard enough, I'll get in. And what he does here is he invites us into his kingdom. He invites us into the kingdom of God and says, listen, I want you to make a decision to live larger than yourself. I want you to make a decision to live differently. Now, I mentioned before that we are a church of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you what you're going to find at GBC. Okay? Now, if you pick up the brochure, one of the phrases I love, and again, we borrowed this from a church in Africa in the Soweto Ghetto. Somebody said this, and I caught a hold of it. I said, wow, I like this. Here's the phrase. Our desire is to be a church that dreams and hungers for God to restore all lives lost. If you read the brochure. I love that. And I pray that speaks to our heart. But here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that we get a lot of things wrong. Amen? So if you're a person that looks for something wrong, you will have a field day with us. You'll have a field day with me. Why? Well, we are sinners that are forgiven, that are trying to figure this out together. And so I pray what you will find is people love Jesus and are trying to figure this out in community. I pray that you'll find people who are trying to figure out what it means for us to engage our culture, both local, regional, and global. I pray that we are people who seek to have an awareness of God, ourselves, and others, inside and outside, and we're humble enough to admit we need each other. I pray that you'll find that we are sinful people seeking and finding redemption. And I hope you'll find, and I know you will because I know some of the stories, a community of forgiveness, a community of accountability, and a community that seeks to follow Jesus. That's what I pray you find. So, he turns our self-centered nature on us saying, I want you to think that way for everyone else. And then he reminds us that there's only one way to do that. And it's through him. Now, our response today is going to be celebration of Jesus. We call communion. 
And I'm going to invite the workers that are part of that. You can simply come up a while and sit on the front bench. So those that are serving and those that are participating, they'll get in their place. And for everyone who's decided to follow Jesus, we welcome you. We are not exclusive. You don't have to be a member here. We invite you into this celebration of communion. But if you haven't, if you're here this morning, and if you haven't decided on Jesus, and you'd like the opportunity to do that, we're going to offer that right now. Because the most important thing right now is not that you participate in communion, it's that you settle this issue. There's two ways. That's it. Now, in our tradition here, normally what I say is, if you'd like to find Jesus this morning, stand up, and we're going to pair you with someone. I don't want you to find If you're here this morning and you would like to accept Christ as your Savior and enter into a community of repentance and forgiveness, I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to pair someone up with you. They're going to pray with you. And they're going to help you understand what this means. And again, if you're here and I don't see you, the lights just kind of shouted out to me. Anyone here would like to make that decision? Just stand right now. Okay, there's... Young gentleman in the back. I'm assuming that the lights it's young. <laughs> Anyone else? Okay, um, Tim, you'll go with him. Anyone else? We'll just pause for a moment. And if you want to meet Tim in the back, he'll uh, talk with you. Now's the time to decide. And this is a very safe place to decide that in. I don't see anybody else. Well, I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to enter into a celebration of what Christ did for us. And we know that we can be a son or a daughter of God. Amen. Father God. Thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for who you are. And we thank you for not giving up on us. Teach us not to give up on each other. Teach us to walk in grace, in the fruit of the spirit. Teach us to be a people of restoration. Because we know what you have done for us all these years. Pray for this young man who uh, is making the decision right now. May your spirit just fill him and help him to understand the beauty of the relationship of what it means to, to be in you, but also to be in your church. We celebrate you. We love you. Please accept our gift of worship now as we remember what you call us to remember. In your name we pray. Amen.